Welcome to Talking All Things Cardiopalm. I am your host, Dr. Rachel Barisi, physical therapist and board-certified cardiopulmonary clinical specialist. This podcast is designed to discuss heart and lung conditions, treatment interventions, research, current trends, expert opinions, and patient experiences. The goal is to learn, inspire, and bring cardiopalm to the forefront of conversation. Thanks for joining me today, and let's get after it. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Talking All Things Cardiopalm. I am your host, Dr. Rachel Barisi. So today's episode is going to be talking about pulse ox. And um, I basically titled this, what is the pulse ox trying to tell you? What are we ignoring or poo-pooing? Because it happens quite a bit, right? We get a pulse ox reading and it seems a little wacky. So we're like, oh, it must be wrong. Um, And that's like a one, it's a pet peeve of mine, right? Because if we're going to utilize a device and trust a device, we can't just trust a device when we like a number. And I know that might hurt some people's feelings, but it's true, right? If you're going to trust that device when it's correct or a number you like or a number you're like, oh, that makes sense. Then we also have to respect it when it's giving us something wild. So I was having this thought earlier today, if, You can only pick one device, one assessment tool, one PT tool. What tool would you pick? You only have one. You can only choose one. You have a room full of assessment tools. You have gonies, you got BP cuffs, you got pulse socks, you got telly, you got um, reflex hammer, whatever, right? Like sky's the limit. What's the one tool that would be most versatile for you and your patient population? I'm struggling with this one. I'm, I'm between blood pressure cuff and pulse ox because the pulse ox can give us so much information, even when we're getting wild numbers. I have to say that utilizing a pulse ox with pretty much every patient that I see, I have caught a number of changes in um, arrhythmias, even when the patient's not on telly. So obviously there's other assessment tools that are going to come into play. So like we don't live and die by the pulse ox. And yes, it can be inaccurate. Like there are a number of reasons that a pulse ox can give us an inaccurate reading. So I just want to talk a little bit about the pulse ox. I want to talk about what typically causes an inaccurate reading. And then I want to talk about two things that typically happen when the pulse ox is trying to tell us something important, something that we shouldn't ignore just because it's looking a little wild on that device. So first of all, a pulse ox essentially uses red light to assess hemoglobin in the blood, right? So it uses some sort of physics law that the light comes in and it can read through the plasma and essentially gives us the saturation percent of hemoglobin. And normal SpO2 should be between 95 and 100%. So normal SpO2 reading is 95 and to 100%. If you're working with patients with known lung disease, you should know the SpO2 goal for that patient so that you have an idea of when you need to up titrate, down titrate, or utilize oxygen if that person isn't yet on oxygen. So 
if you're working with patients that have lung disease, if you're working with patients that have oxygen on, you should be utilizing a pulse ox. And quite frankly, I think it's a helpful tool to use even when our patients don't have known disease. Because a lot of times, as you know, when you do a chart review, your patient might be in for, let's say, heart failure, but they have 20 other diagnoses attached, right? So that patient with heart failure also might have severe emphysema. That patient in for COPD exacerbation may also have XYZ. So pulse ox is a really easy tool to get a lot of information. Plus, it helps us see if our patient is tolerating exercise. When you're exercising, you shouldn't have a drop in pulse ox. And a technical desaturation is greater than or equal to 4%. So if you're exercising with your patient and you have a drop of four or more percent in your SpO2, that is an inappropriate response to exercise, regardless if you hit threshold less than 90, right? So if you start at 98% and you start exercising and your patient ends up at 92%, that's an inappropriate response to exercise. So it can give us a lot of information. We also know that pulse oxes can have inaccurate readings. So typically we use pulse ox on a finger. Um, if we're having problems with a read, you could use the earlobe or even the forehead. Technically, the finger pulse ox is supposed to be the most accurate. You can also use toe, um, toes if you need. But finger is supposed to be most accurate. If you're having a really hard time because your patient has severe peripheral arterial disease, that might be a good time to utilize a forehead probe. Um, and if you're going to use your lobe probes, you have to use the right um, attachment piece. Otherwise, you're not going to get an accurate reading. So just kind of keep those things in mind. But when we're thinking about what causes an inaccurate read, the most obvious one that comes to mind is nail polish. If you have a patient that has had surgery, they have especially opaque colored thick nail polish or fake nails, that's gonna likely give you an inappropriate reading, inaccurate reading. If your patient has um, digital clubbing or brittle nails, or you're not getting a good read through that nail bed, that's also a likely uh, cause of an accurate read. Something that I've had recently is people with severe peripheral arterial disease that it's actually uh, significant in the upper extremities will have an inaccurate read. It's just not gonna feel it. If you have a weak distal pulse, you're not gonna get a good reading because the pulse ox uses red light and pulsatility to basically get that percent that you're seeing. Um, so number of things, nail polish, change in nail bed, uh, dark pigmentation can also cause either a decreased read or an inaccurate read, um, peripheral arterial disease, cold digits, right? So if you're really not getting a good read and you know that by looking at the pleth or on like a Dynamap, there's usually a bar. If, it, if you're not getting good bars, you're not getting a good signal. So that, those are the things that you're looking at. But just because you don't agree with the number doesn't mean that it's wrong or you should just like toss it to the side. It's actually when you get those wild numbers that you should pay attention. Like th that's always my key. Do another assessment to prove something right or wrong, right? If you have this wild heart rate on your pulse ox, go assess that pulse. And if it's reading similarly, 
then the pulse ox isn't wrong, something is happening. So two things that can really show itself via pulse ox in a really like, I don't want to call it abstract, but in a way that many people will say, oh, that's not right and move on. The first one's AFib. So AFib can give in or inaccurate SpO2 readings because of the pulsatility of the AFib, okay? But AFib will show itself on pulse ox. I can't tell you how many patients I have caught over the span of my career that are in AFib that people don't know are in AFib based on pulse ox. So you put that pulse ox on and what you're going to see is the heart rate jumping from really low to really high back and forth. It's just not finding a number. That does not mean ignore the pulse ox. That is like the pulse ox saying, hey, pay attention to me. I can't read appropriately because something else is going on. So with AFib, what you're going to see is like 30, 122, 30, 122, 30, 122. And it has this like very abrupt up and down, up and down. Assess, palpate. The reason why you're getting that wild range is because when you're in atrial fibrillation, the atria is fibrillating. And what you're getting is this irregularly irregular rhythm. So it doesn't follow a pattern. It is all over the map. So if you were to try to calculate rate of AFib using a method that is used for regular rhythms, you're not going to be able to get one number. If you took it in different spots, you would get multiple different ranges because sometimes they occur quickly and sometimes they're spaced out. So the pulse ox is kind of showing you that. So if your pulse ox is jumping all over the place, don't just take it off and say, oh, that can't be right. Use your skills, assess, palpate, check the pulse. If you have an irregularly irregular rhythm, they're likely an AFib. Now, if they have a history of AFib, then it's an expectation. And then maybe the pulse ox isn't going to give you a good percent read if they're not in a controlled rate. But if they don't have a history of AFib or they're not actively in AFib or they're not on telly, this would be something to communicate to the team. And I have seen it a number of times. And usually when you catch it, that patient is an AFib with RVR, meaning they're in a rapid ventricular rate and they're really high, okay? So that's one thing that the pulse ox can show you without showing you, do you know what I mean? But you have to be aware of it to pay attention to it. Because if you just say the statement, oh, that can't be right and move on, you're going to have an issue, right? And AFib's a, a big deal. It's not a medical emergency by any stretch of the imagination. But if we have really high rates and we're in RVR, then our cardiac output is going to decrease. And if we're actively exercising that patient, then they can become symptomatic and that could progress further. On top of which, if we don't know that patient's an AFib or has a history of AFib, AFib chronically over time is one of the leading causes of stroke because the likelihood of a blood clot hanging out in that atria is likely because it's not getting good squeeze. So AFib should never be ignored. If it's new, if it's a change, you need to communicate that. And if that person isn't on telly, well, likely that finding will result in them being put on telly. 
And I think even more importantly, if you're in the outpatient setting, right, because we should be assessing these things in other settings and you don't have telly for sure, this can give you a lot of information. We all know we have patients when we say, do you have any other past medical history that I need to know about? They likely say, nope, all good. And then you have this list of medications like 50 deep. This is one of those things that can help you make decisions and also make you question moving to the next item, whatever it is that you have on your plan for the day. So that's one. The second thing has actually happened to me multiple times in the last few weeks, which I think is wild, right? Because you know it can happen. I've had it happen before, but I had it like two and three days in a row. I was like, wow, like this can't, this can't be again. And then it was. So I had two separate patients, two separate units, two separate underlying causes of admission. Both were on tele, technically. And the first guy, he was actually a COPD exacerbation. No, he was a heart failure exacerbation with COPD underlying. Wasn't on oxygen at baseline. They put him on oxygen at some point during his hospital stay. And when I came in the room, he had his nasal cannula on his chest. So, you know, obviously red flag for me. It's the first thing I'm checking before, you know, we're even fully in conversation mode. I put the pole socks on. And the patient is setting at 87, 88%. The heart rate is reading 30. Okay. So I'm like, well, that's pretty, 87% seems pretty accurate based on what I'm seeing. Nasal cannulas on the chest, 30, like what's happening here? So I pull this telepack out of his pocket and I can't get the screen to show me anything. So I get the blood pressure cuff on, hit the go button. I said, I'll be right back. I'm going to go check your tele screen. I go out to the tele and the tele screen has nothing because he needs batteries. So I go get him batteries. I text the nurse, hey, listen up. This is what I found. I'm heading back in. I'm going to throw some batteries in just to kind of get the ball rolling because I know something's already up. And when I get back in, I get the batteries in while I'm doing that, like waiting for the screen to pop up, I'm palpating and he's a regular. Um, and it doesn't even take me two seconds to see this two inch strip to see that he's either in bigeminy or trigeminy. It's actually kind of switching back and forth. So my nurse isn't available. Charge nurse comes in. Paul Sox is still reading something like 33, 40. I think the lowest I saw was 27. I'm palpating him. Um, I think on palpation, he was somewhere around 40 in a 60, uh, 60 second span. And the first thing she says is, well, that's not true. Because the telly is reading in the 70s. So I think this is going to be a different episode because I feel very strongly about this. Um, PVCs what can, will be counted on telly. But if you're palpating a pulse, you're not going to feel that PVC. So from a cardiac output perspective, that 40 and likely that 30 that's been showing for the last few minutes is actually closer to what is showing on the tele, tele monitor. But we're going to talk about that in a different episode because we need to chat about PVCs. But the point of this is that if you're getting a wildly low reading on pulse ox, 
And by the way, when I had him take a deep breath in, his oxygen went up. I was having a good read and I was like, oh, something's up. If you're getting a wildly low read on pulse ox, check the telly, check your pulse. The pulse ox will not read the PVC because it's not a full contraction. So the more PVCs that are occurring, the lower the rate will be on your pulse and then on your pulse ox, right? Because the pulse ox reads based on pulsatility. So if you don't have a strong contraction, it's not gonna count the PVC. So what's the point? Your pulse ox is trying to tell you something. Your pulse ox is saying, hey, this person's throwing a lot of PVCs, okay? So if you're getting a wild rate from low to high, low to high, low to high, and it's jumping, likely that could be AFib. If you have a wildly low heart rate, and it doesn't make sense, palpate. Because it could be telling you that that person is throwing a ton of PVCs. And that can become problematic. And we'll talk about that why next time. So pulse ox, super versat versatile, versatile, versatility. I don't know how I wanted to throw that in there. But it is a wonderful device that can give you a lot of information. If you have a patient on oxygen, you should be assessing SpO2. You should be assessing if your patient needs to be up or down titrated, you should not be titrating oxygen based solely on patient's subjective findings. You should always know your patient's SpO2 order. The order should be written that you are able to titrate oxygen based on an SpO2 goal. And that gives you the ability, depending on what state you're in, for you to titrate that oxygen. So a common SpO2 order you'll see is SpO2 greater than 92%. We use that a ton in Michigan. I see more SpO2 greater than 90 here in Kansas, Missouri, but I also see the 92. If you have a patient with severe COPD, you might have that 88% goal. And pulmonary hypertension is another one that you should be looking for your SpO2 goals. So if you have a patient who is on oxygen, who has lung disease, who has pulmonary hypertension, who has heart failure, you should be assessing that SpO2 because you want to know if they're tolerating the exercise based on an oxygenation perspective. A drop in 4% is an inappropriate response to exercise. And if you're showing wild readings on your pulse ox, do not say the words, oh, that's probably not right. Investigate investigate, use your other skills, palpate for pulse, check your telly, because likely it's telling you something important and you don't want to overlook it. All right. So that's a quick one today. Something I wanted to get off my chest, something that happened to me multiple times in the last few days I've been working and something I want to bring to your attention if it wasn't on your radar. So I hope that was helpful for you reach out, ask questions, let me know if I can help in any way. Um, you can find me on Instagram at allthingscardiopalm. Reach out to me on Gmail at allthingscardiopalm at gmail.com. And I will drop my text in the show notes because I still don't know it by heart. Um, and that's about it. So whatever you have to do, get after it.